Hello, hello, and thanks for tuning in. My name is Beth Salafia, and I am the Director of Programming and Research at BioGirls. Just so you know a little bit about me, I earned my PhD from the University of Notre Dame, then was a professor at North Dakota State University for 13 years before joining the team at BioGirls. This month, as you may know, is Mental Health Awareness Month. At BioGirls, we're committed to helping girls learn about and improve their mental wellness. In fact, mental wellness is one of the four key pillars of the BioGirls program. During the month of May, we at BioGirls are doing a short podcast series to discuss mental health and wellness topics that are relevant to parents and adolescents in our community. Over the next few weeks, I'll be speaking with industry professionals in hopes to bring more awareness and understanding to the importance of mental health. Again, thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm here today with Dr. Rebecca Baki. Dr. Baki has been a board-certified pediatrician for 11 years. She's currently working at Sanford Health. She is a wife and a mother to four kids, including two bio girls. Today, we are going to cover some important information that parents should know about mental health in their children, uh, including prevalence of mental illness and some possible strategies for preventing or helping cope with mental health problems. Thanks so much for being here, Dr. Baki. I'm so excited to hear what you have to say. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. All right, to begin, can you maybe shed a little light on us about how many children you would estimate are affected by mental illness? Yeah, it's it's very common. Um, the statistics tell us about one in seven adolescents have some sort of mental illness. So the most common ones would be depression, anxiety, ADHD, and then sort of like a basket term behavioral problems. Um, and, you know, girls are affected uh, a little bit more intensely than boys, too, since we're talking about bio girls, because by mid-adolescence, mental illness is actually two times as common in girls than in boys. And interestingly, mental illness uh, rates have been increasing a lot over the past decade, and now it's been really accelerated by the pandemic. I know I see that a lot in my office, just a lot more um, kids I'm seeing with depression and anxiety, and a lot of my colleagues across the country, too, we're all sort of seeing, seeing the same thing. And the statistics sort of back us up. I mean, there's been a lot more emergency room visits for mental illness in kids, and actually a 51% increase in suicide attempts in adolescent girls in 2019, so pre-pandemic, um, as compared to during the pandemic. So we're really, uh, it, you know, it was bad before and, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunately it's gotten a lot worse. Yeah, that's a good point because I think we all kind of have this idea of how the pandemic influences us, right? But having the statistics there to show that it really has been impacting our children and te teens is, is really, um, powerful. I think it's a really powerful message. So thanks for sharing those stats with us. Um, yeah. you, kind of a little sidebar here, but you mentioned a lot about teens. Like are, mm -hmm. are we, should we be worried about our mental illness and, and children that are younger? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can see depression and anxiety um, you know, in kids really as young as the toddler and the preschool age, I would say it's a lot more uncommon at that age and gets more common um, as kids grow and get older. But, you know, absolutely by grade school, that's something that I'm talking about usually at every well child visit mood and, you know, do you feel like you're feeling more sad or angry or anxious than other kids your age? Um, and it's something that we're really thinking about all the time. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting because as a pediatrician, I think most people just 
think that you assess the physical health of their children, right? But you're you're doing more than that, and you're you're thinking about the overall well-being of a child, including the mental and physical aspects. So that kind of leads me to my next question. If if you want to talk a little bit about the connection between mental and physical health, yeah, that's a that's a great question because they're really you can't separate them, right? I mean, your physical health uh, affects your mental health and vice versa. And in fact, if I'm seeing kids um, for a lot of problems, but you know, uh, especially for, for mood problems, depression, anxiety, things like that, some of the first questions that I ask kind of almost might sound like they have nothing to do with that. I'm asking about sleep. How are you sleeping? You know, how easy is it for you to fall asleep and stay asleep? And are you tired during the day? I'm asking about physical activity. You know, are you... Um, getting out and, you know, going to soccer practice or, you know, going for bike rides, or are you spending a lot of time alone in your room? I'm asking about diet, how you're eating. And, you know, there's a few different reasons for that. Um, one is that sometimes those can be symptoms of mental illness. It, may, it might be like, you know, I used to sleep really well, but now over the last few months, since I've been feeling sad, um, I can't fall asleep or I've been waking up early and I can't get back to bed or I'm tired all the time. Um, and some of that is because a lot of those sort of healthy habits, sleep and exercise and, and diet also have a great effect on your mental health. I mean, there's really good research that shows that kids that are more physically active are less likely to have depression and anxiety. Um, kids that sleep well, I think any new mom can tell you that lack of sleep is really not good for your mood. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, you're stressed and you're anxious and you're more irritable if you're not sleeping well. So they really go hand in hand, you know, and diet too. I think if you're you know, um, eating a bunch of, you know, junk food all, all of the time, you just don't feel good. And when you don't feel good, you, you know, you're more likely to um, get into some negative patterns of thinking. Um, and, and, and it affects you sort of in every way. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you a question here. It's, um, it's a little, a little bit of a sidebar again, but as, as I'm listening to you talk about the the intertwining of mental and physical health. Is it ever a case of like the chicken and the egg? Do you know what I mean? Like, so does yeah. one come first or, you know, does like poor physical health, could that lead to poor mental health or vice versa? And if that's the case, like, can we use, like, for example, could we use physical activity to like help us, you know, prevent mental health problems? Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. And I think that's a really good question. And I think that's a question that a lot of researchers ask. And, and I think they are, I think they are intertwined. I mean, you know, like to use the, the example that I just did of, I, I don't know, like a new mom, like a postpartum mom, you know, you do see a lot of postpartum anxiety and depression. And I think sleep does play a huge role into that as do hormones, as, as do things like that. Um, you know, and so sometimes physical problems are causing you know, mental illness or, or leading, leading to it, or, you know, making you um, more likely to have them. But, you know, we, we do know that to use physical activity um, as an example, that kids who are physically active, you know, like I said, they have lower rates of anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. um, and even small amounts of exercise, you know, even just exercising one to three times a week has been shown to be beneficial um, in preventing uh, mental illness for kids, not just now, but even down the road. Like, you know, if kids who are physically active now, um, there's been a lot of studies that show you're less likely to um, have depression maybe one or two years down the road. So it, so that is kind of a really a prevention piece. Okay. I think one thing that complicates things is that 
if you're really depressed, especially or anxious, mm-hmm. it makes it harder to do those healthy habits. For sure. You know, it's harder to sleep. It's harder to motivate yourself to exercise. It's harder to, to eat healthy because it's kind of one of those things that goes along with mental illness. And so, you know, that's something that we talk about a lot in clinic. Um, and, and obviously with therapy and medications, and there's a lot of good things that we can um, do to, you know, to help treat mental illness. But I always, you know, joke, especially with my older patients about this, like, I know this isn't sexy and fun. And, you know, it's not like a really interesting thing to talk about, but all of these things are, are just really so important. And, and one thing I will say that I think kids, you know, who've dealt with a lot of depression or anxiety or mental illness do learn to do that is beneficial to them in the long run is they learn to do that self-care. You mm-hmm. know, they learn like how important that is. And, and when they learn that at a, at a young age, it can really be beneficial to them in the long run. Cool. That's, yeah, that's good information. So it ties into the next question that I'm going to ask you, which is about prevention and preventative strategies. So um, you mentioned sleep and diet and physical activity. So these are all, you know, important contributors, we'll say to like overall health, including mental health. So could you talk a little bit more about like other prevention strategies, maybe that parents can encourage in their children or um, maybe some specific information? Like, should we be aiming to, um, you know, what should we be aiming for in terms of diet or sleep or physical activity? What are some goals that we could set in order to prevent the onset of the mental health problems? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I guess to go over the stuff that we already talked about, adequate sleep is going to be a little different for every kid, but, you know, as a parent, you really want to make sleep a priority. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can do that in a few different ways. One is a consistent bedtime, no screens in the room. That's a big one. I mean, kids always tell me it's my alarm or it helps me to fall asleep. Um, and a study after study after study have shown that having screens in your bedroom, whether it's a phone or TV or iPad, um, really um, negatively affects your ability to sleep well. You know, you're shooting for somewhere between nine and 12 hours for six to 12 year olds. And once you get to the teenage years, most teenagers need somewhere between eight and 10 hours. You know, and again, just like adults, every kid's are, kid is different. Some kids need a lot more sleep and some kids need less sleep. So um, so that's a big thing you can do is just making sure that they're getting enough rest. Um, you know, eating well is pretty much the basic, lots of fruits and vegetables. Um, kids need meat and protein and, and fat in their diets, you know, as well to stay healthy. Um, and, I, you know, I, I always say, like, unless you have an allergy or, or some serious medical problems, no food should be off limits. So you can still enjoy ice cream and cookies and, and things like that. But those should be sometimes foods, not, you know, everyday foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and then physical activity wise, I mean, we, we recommend an hour, um, 60 minutes of physical activity a day. Um, and sometimes when I tell people that if you're not used to being physically active, it sounds so overwhelming. Um, and it is, it's a lot, you know, I mean, it's a lot when kids are going to school and have other activities, but anything is better than nothing. So if you're doing zero physical activity, you know, can you commit to two days a week for 20 minutes or something like that? You know, anything is better than nothing. Um, now beyond that screen time, I would say is a big issue. Um, you know, and we're 2022, we can't, uh, (laughs) totally eliminate screen time, but I I think limiting it, um, is very reasonable. We in generally say no more than two hours a day. Um, 
for older kids and then monitoring it too. you know, paying attention to what your kids are doing on their screens. I usually say, especially with young kids, they shouldn't have be alone with screens in their room. It should be in a public place and you should be checking, um, you know, and seeing what they're doing and talking to them a lot about, you know, all the different things you can find on the internet. Um, the last thing that I would say that I think is really important uh, for preventing mental health issues is something that you might not think about is that parents need to take care of themselves. Mm. Um, you know, because healthy parents really equal healthy kids. And I say this all the time in my clinic, like you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Mm. Like your right. kids need so much, but if you're not well, if you're not healthy, if you're struggling with mental health issues on your own, um, you know, it's really hard to give your kids, um, what they might need to sort of emotionally thrive. And I'm not saying that to make anybody feel guilty. I'm kind of saying that because I want to empower parents that mm -hmm. it's okay to take some time to yourself, you know, For parenting. Sure. I think there's just inherent sacrifice that's required in parenting, but like being a martyr really benefits no one. And I think it sets a bad example for our kids. You know, I mean, I have two sons, two daughters, like I want them to see that, you know, I, it's okay for me to take time for myself. It's okay for me to go to bed early if I feel like I need that or, or go for a run or spend some time with my friends, because I want them to feel like they can do that too, and that they can advocate for themselves. Um, you know, and that I think makes me a better mom and wife and doctor and friend. Um, and, and I think what we do speaks volumes for our kids, you know, a lot more than what we say. So we kind of do need to sort of walk the walk in these cases. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point because instead of, you know, adding guilt to a parent, you're actually taking it away. You're saying like, it's okay to need what you need and to take care of yourself. So don't feel bad about that because you're actually helping your child. I mean, you know, role modeling is important and having the, the resources there to be able to care for your child. So there shouldn't be any guilt involved in taking care of yourself. So right. And like, what other job are you doing? Are you expected to do 24 seven with no breaks? Right? <laughs> I mean, literally no other job are you expected to do that? And I think we have to remember too, that we can't be everything for our kids. I, I don't know. I think I, at least for me, the pandemic really taught me that like, I, it didn't go well when I was their teacher and their friend, you know, and their um, gym teacher and, and their mom and trying to work and, and all of those things. Like, you know, we really, we all benefit from having a village, like our kids benefit from having a village, um, you know, and so, so do we as parents. I don't think we were meant to parent in isolation. And I just always encourage um, moms, especially, but dads too, like, it's okay to ask for help. And, and again, it's, it's, it's benefiting everybody. Right. Right. That's an excellent point. And I hope our listeners really take that message with them after this podcast. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, my last kind of big question for you is about surviving versus thriving. I think a lot of times we think about you know, just surviving as a parent or survive, like your child's surviving, you know, like and making it through without these major health issues. So rather than thinking about how we can get our kids to just survive and like, just be, how can we get them to actually thrive, like to, to do more than just pass through life without any major illness, but to like thrive and does that make sense so like in addition to surviving we want them to like do better than that thrive so from a parenting standpoint maybe like what how can we get them to 
how can we get our kids to thrive from, you know, a parent? I think that's a great question. And, and first I would say, and I know, you know, this too, I mean, some seasons are going to be just about survival. Sometimes if you can get food on the table and get them to yep. bed and get them to school and, and that's all you can do, you just pat yourself on the back and, you know, tomorrow's a new day. Yep. Um, and the other thing that I would say that I just want to add to this, like before I go on, is that like you, the parents also can't take this all on their shoulders, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, if you, you can work and I mean, I'm talking about all these things you can do to prevent and treat mental illness, but sometimes you can do everything perfectly and it's still not enough. Mm -hmm. So, so the other thing that I would say, like I was saying before, like you have to find your village and certainly use your resources. I mean, I'm a pediatrician, I would say your pediatrician or primary care provider would be a great place to start, you know, mm -hmm. when things just aren't going well. But, you know, that being said, other things that can really help. This is honestly, you know, when I was prepping for this podcast, I was thinking, wow, this is a lot of things that they talk about in, in bio girls. I mean, one thing I would say would be to practice gratitude. Mm -hmm. um, so, and my daughter is doing bio girls right now and she just came home with her gratitude box. And so, awesome. you know, that's really neat to see that she's kind of learning those values from other places. But, you know, we try to like in, in my house, for example, like if I'm saying prayers with my kids at bedtime or sometimes around the dinner table, what's one thing you're grateful for today or three things you're grateful for today, you know, and the more you're thinking about that and talking about that, you know, you're looking for the positive and you're thinking about the good in your life. Um, so practicing gratitude. Another one that they also, I know, talk about um, in the bio girls program, because my girls have done it, is to, to fail forward, like help your daughter to persevere through failure and disappointment. And, mm -hmm. and I think this is really important because I think your instinct as a parent, and I know I feel like this as a mom too, like it feels bad when your kids are upset mm -hmm. or when they fail and things don't go that way. And it's really just like so instinctual to want to protect them from that, you know? I mean, because, because you don't like to see your kids upset. Um, but that's, it's not the right way because that's just not how the world works. Unfortunately, they're going to, you know, deal with, you know, disappointment and failure in their lives. And we have to help them to deal with that. And one way that you can help them to deal with that is just to show them that you're not afraid of them failing. Like you're not afraid of their negative emotions and kids really kind of look to us with how to respond. So if they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm sad or upset and mom thinks that's okay. So maybe it is okay, you know, rather than, you know, you being so distressed by their distress that they're kind of like running from that and fearing and don't want to put themselves out there anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I just think knowing like there's many paths to becoming a successful child and a su successful adult. And, and fortunately that path isn't narrow, you know, kids are allowed to fall off on the path and get back on and that builds strength and resilience in the long run. So, you know, let them put themselves out there, let them try out for the travel soccer team, even if you know, they're not going to make it or try out for the musical and know that they'll be disappointed and just show them confidence that, you know, this is sad, this is disappointing, but I know you can get through it. Yeah. Um, so, so feeling forward. And then, then the last one, I guess I would say would just be just to remember your values. Um, and I think if you ask most parents, like, what's your greatest goal for your children? You know, what do you wish for them in the future? It's for them to be kind to others, to be good people and happy. But interestingly, if you survey kids, what do you think your parents' greatest goal is for you? It's usually related to achievement. You know, like they want me to be the best or make the most money or get straight A's or something like that. So it's really interesting that what we think or what we say that we want for our kids isn't really 
what they're hearing. And, and again, I think that's a lot of like talk versus action too. And so I try to like pay attention to the questions that I ask my kids, you know, and I am asking them questions like, how did you do on your spelling test? Because I want to say, wow, great. You only got one wrong and, and your pretest, you got five wrong. You know, you worked really hard. And, um, and I think those things are important too, but trying to ask other questions, like, what did you do that was kind today? Like, did you help anybody at school today? Um, you know, or, or if they're telling me about if someone's grandma died at school, we can talk about, you know, well, what can we do to help her to feel better? You know, can we write her a note? Can we send them a card? Can we make them dinner? Things like that. And, and those kind of values, I think we know as adults are really sort of what makes life worth living. Um, so, you know, just thinking about the ways, you know, we're, we're talking about that all the time. We want our kids to be kind, but, but really kind of showing it in action and showing that, hey, that this matters to me if you're um, if you're doing the right thing. I love that. I love that a lot. And as you were talking, I was thinking about what you said, the disconnect between what parents actually want for their kids and what kids think their parents want. And I think the more we as parents can be open with our kids and just say that, like, like, you know, what I want from you is to be a kind person. Like that is of the utmost importance. I think if we can really um, make sure that we communicate those kinds of things to our children, the better off they're going to be too. So then they don't grow up thinking, oh, I have to get all A's. I have to get into this good school. I have to, you know, make lots of money. Um, we're setting them up actually to be more successful. Um, Absolutely. And that's what leads to a happy life, really. You know, right? it's not, it's not the great, you know, we, uh, I think most of us know really like highly, at least superficially successful people that are really, really unhappy. Yeah. Um, right. And so, and, and it's not like you can't have both, you know, I mean, I also want my kids to, to study for spelling and, you know, sure. and, and it's not like, it's not really an either or situation, but I do think it's, but yeah, I just do think like putting a voice to that and, and recognizing them for those small efforts and telling them that you're, that that's important. I mean, that means a lot to kids and, and it goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those are, I just love everything that you had to say. I think they're really good. Um, you kind of gave some take-home messages, I feel like, throughout here, things that really easy strategies that we can incorporate into our parenting um, to, you know, to raise healthy kids. So I just wanted to say, first of all, thanks so much for a great conversation and for really tackling all my questions, which I didn't think were particularly easy questions, but you, you gave us lots of good answers and, and food for thought here. So thank you for that. And I was wondering if you, to kind of wrap things up before we say goodbye, if you had any book recommendations for our listeners. Um, I do. Um, some, uh, there's a great series of books called What to Do When, um, and they're by, I believe she's a psychologist called Dawn Hubner. Um, there's just a great series, What to Do When You Worry Too Much, What to Do um, for Kids Obviously That Are Anxious, What to Do When You Dread Your Bed for Kids Who Have a Hard Time Getting to Sleep, um, What to Do When Your Temper Flares for Kids That Have Trouble um, you know, with anger issues. And they're actually books that our, our child psychologists use in therapy, but they're really um, written so that you can, you can use them at home. And they're sort of aimed for kids like in that eight to 12 um, year old age range. So I have a couple of the books um, for myself at home that I've used for my kids. And I think those are, those are a great resource for parents um, that are struggling. I mean, just, just look them up. And like I said, there's a bunch of other topics too, but those I find to be really helpful and evidence-based 
and um, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to struggle and there's help out there. So just, just remember that. Yeah, I, I have a couple of those myself. So I second that recommendation. And I know when we're done with this podcast, I'm going to go back and listen to it a couple more times, you know, to think about some things that I can take with me moving forward as a, a parent of a seven-year-old. So thank you so much, Dr. Baki, for being here and for all of your helpful insight. Hey, Beth, thank you for having me. Have a great day.